let me let me read out her text because you're well her whatsapp message because this is really funny it's cool name zarina yeah so she said lisa forgot to say a lady i know through work lives in bath she told me about a friend of hers who has moved to dubai who also funded the frankenstein museum in bath oh wow I said I learnt about it recently through you and that you were making a podcast. She said she would love to listen. Will you send me when ready? Oh, brilliant. So I sent it to her. Yeah. What are the chances of that? It's such a small world, isn't that it? That is so weird. Yeah. So we've got a connection to the lady. Well, maybe we should talk about that. Yeah. Who funded Frankenstein Museum. Cool. Well, you just did. I've been recording that. <laughs> And today we'll be covering chapter two of Frankenstein. Sh- uh, Frankenstein. <laughs> we'll be covering chapter two of Frankenstein. Yes, and then we'll be talking about Percy Bichelli. Well done. <laughs> so I didn't know how to say his middle name. I was trying, was it Bishi? Bishi. And luckily, I listened to some podcasts and, and it came out as Bichelli. Bichelli. Yeah. So um, we can talk. Ooh, did about... you hear my stomach rumbling? Then I thought it was a pigeon. No. <laughs> 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 so we'll start off with chapter two. I've got a lot of thoughts on chapter two. Do you know what my main thought is? What's your main thought today? <laughs> Mostly I've been thinking. Mostly I've been thinking about Mary Shelley, this woman who was born out of or born birthed by Mary Wollstonecraft, yeah. this huge feminist, yeah. you know, was grew up in this really unusual family. Challenging environments, herself part of the romantics who were all about challenging tradition. Yeah. You're looking at me like, where are you going? Yeah, with yeah, this? yeah, yeah. I'm also looking because I think the microphone might be slowly dipping Ooh, down. Oh, descending, right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you're probably going, where are you going with this? Because we haven't really talked about what's going on in this chapter. No, where are we going with this, Lisa? Well, the fact that the mum dies in this chapter. Yeah. So the mum dies, but it's actually Elizabeth's fault. Yeah. Because the woman goes, the mother goes in to see Elizabeth and gets scar- uh, scarlet, fever. scarlet fever. Yeah. But that's so tragic, yeah. Mm. However, Elizabeth is given the responsibility of becoming the woman of the house. Yeah. And the mother says something like, you know, um, you must supply my place. Yeah. And But it's quite interesting because in the previous chapter... They were talking about how equal they all were. Everything in the house was, yeah, definitely. So, so for me, that really sort of really stuck out as as being so contrary to everything that they talked about as a family unit yeah. and everything that Mary Shelley would probably, you know, have actually supported. So, why did she do that? Was she saying that this is what would happen? Mm. Is it just a sort of comment on 
you know, the period of time and yeah. that is that is what would happen yeah. in that household. Um so yeah, that was that was the your sort of the your first thing, like the question I questioning that questioning the fact that she highlighted yeah. and made so much of it. And also it's it's a pretty hard uh, soul move on your deathbed to say, okay, now you need to marry my son and you need to become become mother to uh, your cousins. Yeah. It's just like She's got no choice now at all, has she? Is no, she hasn't. But equally, she absolutely laps it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She loves it. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but just the portrayal of those two, it, yeah, you know, it, the it death quite, passing on and quite, then um, her assuming odds. her role. It's almost like um, I imagine that that's how um, – Kate felt when she entered into the royal family. Okay. Do you You're, know what I mean? We're on first name terms with Kate. I'm thinking Kate who? Kate Middleton. Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? It's like being, it's almost like the honour of being given a role or the mm. perceived honour of being given a role mm. and then the grace of just taking on that role and embracing it because she was very sort of, so Elizabeth was a very sort of fun-loving spirit wasn't she yeah, and yeah. she was very romantic in her nature but it's like that's all come to an end now because i'm about to die you now take on this yeah. do you think that is something which happens between mothers and daughters anyway it was like yeah at some point we need to get you ready because at some point you're going to be going away and mm. becoming like you, you there was a role there, there was a role that you're you're going to be expected to mm. fulfill yeah even now well, it was in my house anyway. Even now, now it's like men and women are expected to have certain roles, um, sometimes more extreme than others. But it's it's almost like I do this role within the family, and that's something which you're you're going to have to do when, or you're going to be mm-hmm. expected to do when you go into a, a, mm-hmm. another family. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, yeah, it, it's it, learned behaviour within yeah, the definitely. household. Yeah, mm. but it's also in families there are there are roles within a family. They they often talk about it like on um pink jobs and blue jobs. What's that? You never heard of that? No. Your pink jobs and your blue jobs. I thought you said I thought you said <laughs> paint jobs and blow jobs. <laughs> <laughs> we have to keep that in. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> We're talking about intellectual literary yeah. <laughs> work. Yeah. How are we going on about? Pink jobs and blue jobs, yeah. <laughs> or blue jobs and. But they often jobs. talk about in um, uh, sitcoms that doesn't matter what the sitcom is. Um, they essentially the the people in sitcom are a family, and one will take the mother role, one will take the the, mm-hmm. the child role, one mm-hmm. will take the uh, the father role. And mm-hmm. it, so, for example, um, I think Del Boy would be the father. Yeah. Um, Uncle Albert would be the the mother, mm-hmm. and Rodney is playing the child. Yeah. And, and that is the dynamic. Mm-hmm. So. Even though it's, uh, even even though that that those are three guys in there, that they 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 are kind of like gen, gender sort of based mm-hmm. and roles in there. And interestingly, Mary Shelley didn't have that typical structure, family structure, because mm-hmm. her mother died, so oh. she was brought up by her father. Yeah. So you'd have thought that would have massively influenced. Anyway, I just thought it was quite an interesting. I think yeah, I think it's opener a, for that chapter. I think she. We're going to be talking about um, the sort of the Shelley household in a moment and how completely un- unconventional that was. Mm. Um, but I think she's kind of hinted at some of the ideals uh, that uh, 
her and her, her father and her family had um, for a family. But I think at the same time, they, they're still trying to write something which people could identify yeah, with when, when, they, yeah, when yeah. they read it. So, so we're saying that that's sort of, um, it's historic context yeah. or, or societal context. Yeah, I think it's, but then it's interesting, they, he then goes on to talk about grief. It's really hard when someone dies, but eventually you can't, you can't, can't keep going on like that. Mm. And then finally, you you won't feel guilty about smiling anymore. Yeah, and um, and I'm yeah. It's it's like he. It's almost like he was very matter of fact about it. It's like enough grieving now. Let's move on. I need to go to university, yeah. and I need to progress my life and yeah. move on. But it was something. Some of the stuff I've been listening to about. Percy Shelley's poetry and he did uh, Ozymandias, didn't yes, he? Yes, he did. Mm. And he's talking about everything comes to an end, mm. um, and things will change. And they, they, they often talk about um, things are going to change, and it's sad when things change. But that's part of life. Mm. And even though it's sad, it's good that things change because that's the nature of things, mm-hmm. and it will change into something else. And sometimes you have to go through the pain uh, and the sorrow and, and of of that change in order to to transform into the next stage of things yeah and there's nothing you, it's part of nature that that mm-hmm. nothing stays the same forever mm. and there's like a cycle of death and life and mm. you can't have one without the other mm-hmm. and almost like that is part of being alive so therefore it, it should be celebrated as mm. well just as well as everything else and that's exactly that's actually what they did isn't it because the book was written in a very dark periods mm-hmm. like you know naturally dark mm-hmm. there was no sunshine yeah. you know there was a some sort of cloud dust yeah. wasn't there yeah. they all yeah. there was a huge storm so actually a brilliant piece of literature was born out of oh, the darkness the yeah. darkness yeah isn't that what got gothis gothic gothism gothicism <laughs> goths yeah. ain't that what goths Goth- like <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's the next t-shirt um oh yeah. yeah i'd rather be reading a gripper yeah and then it'd be ain't that, <laughs> okay. what, ain't that what golf is like cornelius agrippa yeah. <laughs> rather than riding my bike yeah so mm. the next he's then talking about um he talks about his friend who wants to go to university but he can't because his dad thinks it's a waste it's a waste of time learning stuff when you could be starting a business mm. um but then he talks about going to university and just saying like how everything is new. Yeah. And he's quite I, anxious about it to begin with though, isn't he? Yeah. But I think about going, sorry. But I think he's, um, and again, whenever we talk about he, in this context, we're talking about Victor Frankenstein, who I don't, still don't think has actually been named, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it's, this is the person who's telling the story to the man on the boat. But I was thinking for that character who has been living at home, surrounded by his family the whole time, never even gone to school. Mm-hmm. Um, being, home educated imagine what that's gonna be like like that suddenly you've gone to a, a city and you're completely surrounded by new like new people i, I can remember going to university mm-hmm. and just like how oh, it just changed everything when yeah you, suddenly there was no one there you knew everywhere you've gone yeah. up until that point and i thought that was quite pertinent the fact that it, yeah the sensations of leaving home and going to university are still the same whether you are Percy Frankenstein or you and I because I did exactly the same thing and I thought it was really lovely to actually um, reference that as well um, 
And what was the other thing I was going to say about uh, him going to university? But he's very, he's quite sort of, um, what's the word? He, I think he, he compartmentalises emotions quite quickly because mm-hmm. he talked like the grief of his mother dying. And then he's like, oh, well, but we need to stop grieving. We need to move on. Mm-hmm. When he's in the carriage going to university, he's feeling very like, oh, I, you know, am I going to fit in? In, you know, in obviously different words. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, but no, I want to learn lots yeah. so he's quite he's quite he moves from emotions quite quickly it's a very short and, chapter this one isn't it yeah it's almost like boom this happened this happened this happened this yeah. happened yeah so do you think it's edited his full emotional feelings i think i think or, sorry his full emotions i think mary shelley just wants to get him from a to b mm. and it, they're just trying to because if you think like some of the some of the stuff previous to this have gone to, into a lot of a lot of um discussion about feelings and all that kind mm. of stuff and then suddenly this is it's almost like an accelerated we've gone on to fast forward for a mm. little bit um yeah. but why is she doing that do i don't think that i don't know i'd, I'd quite like to challenge that yeah. she wants to get from a to, she wants to get from a to b yeah. like do you do you think she's trying to tell us something about his character maybe it might be a case of like yeah this is someone who, who doesn't let things stop him mm. I, i'm but he's yeah. not like devoid of emotion. No. He has got some emotion. Yeah, but it's like I need to get that out of the way in, in order to move to the next mm. to the next stage. Yeah, that's interesting. He's not sort of he's not on the spectrum, is he? Possibly. You, no, no, no. Because I think mm, sorry, I should probably shouldn't say that. No. But he seems to have he recognizes emotion mm-hmm. and he recognizes sort of how that feels and he recognizes diff like elizabeth he always talked about her as being like this free spirit mm. and he's much more sort of scholarly isn't he yes um so he recognizes all of that but i think he is very committed to his studies and thirst for knowledge it's, yeah it's almost like um he's experiment experience these things like you said he's he's not um He's not doesn't seem to have a problem experiencing emotion, but it's almost like I can't let this stop me. I need to exactly. Push they don't let him override him, do they? No, burping so much for these beers. <laughs> um, but then we have a he goes through his he meets his first teacher, um, who Mr. Kemp or Kremp, Mr. Kremp, yeah, M. Kremp, who's the professor of natural philosophy, who both basically. Um, does what his father did and said, "What you've been reading all these old books? They're all they're completely out of out of fashion. Um, you're wasting time with this. You know, we need to you need to be reading these books and gives mm-hmm. him a, a long list of um yeah books to read. And I thought it was quite interesting that um uh, Victor at that point was like, yeah, I kind of knew that, but I'm not going to read the books you give me because you know he's he's always quite stubborn. That, yeah. yeah, I'm not. Yeah." He's almost like had a dry run with his dad, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah. And if his dad isn't going to break through, there's no way that a lecturer a uh, professor is going to change his mind. No, but and also reading those, because what age was he when he was reading them? Was he like 13 or something? Like, wait, how old is he going to university? I think it's like 17, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He starts at, he's 17. Yeah, yeah. Which feels young, but then we get, when we go on to what fucking Percy was up to. Exactly. In his, in his um, life, it's, I feel like we are all completely... Um, Unachieving. Yeah, under, <laughs> we're massive underachievers and massive babies nowadays. <laughs> We waste all our fucking time watching YouTube when we could be like. I think at that point, Victor's a little. It feels like he comes across like, like I'm excited about going. The first thing I 
what happens when I get there? Someone tells me that I'm a bit, bit useless, and it's like, well, fuck this. Mm. And then it's almost like, but then there was an there's another guy who will cover this my lecturer's lessons when I'm not around, and it was like, well, I didn't have anything else to do, so I go and watch that. Mm. And, and thank goodness he does. Yeah, and he meets um, Mich- or the M. I, I Waldman. Just, Waldman, but it's just come to my um, understanding. I thought the M was their initial, but it's Monsieur. 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 No, but this is German, isn't it? Yeah. So what, what's M stand for? I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, maybe. Uh, wouldn't it be hair if it was German? Where have they gone to? They are German, aren't they? Yeah, but he's gone to Geneva. With a, oh, then Monsieur. Yeah. So Sorry. Speaking French. I missed the fact that he'd gone to Geneva. Yeah. Of course he has. So it would be Monsieur. Yeah. Yeah. Monsieur Waldman, who's basically Rick catches his imagination and just mm. saying, but he doesn't dismiss what um, these books, which Victor's been reading mm-hmm. and just saying, oh, yeah. They're the they, basis of... Yeah, and he said they promised everything, but they couldn't do it. Whereas mm-hmm. the science we got now, um, we've, we've, we've hardly scratched the surface of what we can do with that. And mm. it's almost like he, he hasn't um, dismissed Victor's enthusiasm, mm-hmm. he's, and, and, but he's kind of pushed it to another direction. It just shows a different way of teaching. And yeah, totally. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, he, and then now Victor's like, yeah, I'm on board now, because this guy is, is, is not dismissed me. Yeah. Basically, that's what the other teacher says from go and read these books. But now Victor's on board; he's reading them. But he mm. starts showing them all the equipment and like, yeah. And, and I think that equipment really piques his interest. Yeah. I don't know about you, but did you, in your mind, when you were reading it, did you have an image of like the ultimate chemistry set? set? Yeah. <laughs> the bubbly cheese and all that kind of stuff. That like typical horror movies yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start creating something like yeah. a mad scientist did you, have a, did you ever have a chemistry set when you were a kid yes. yeah so, oh, I made stink bombs with it <laughs> and brew crystals and made yeah he definitely did crystals yeah. that was so funny yeah. yeah 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 but it's funny isn't it that we're so sort of like indoctrinated with that classic setter yeah of that you know this is what Victor Frankenstein is going to be doing or yeah. that's where it's all going to what start. Yeah, all different coloured mm-hmm. um, bubbling liquids with like dry yeah. ice popping out. Lots of smoke. Yeah. But it's like the, the workshop that we saw in the uh, museum. Yes. When we when we went to look at the actual monster, yeah. that life-size model that yeah. had been created. The only good bit, really. But no. No, it was not no, the only good no. bit of the Frankenstein Museum. No, the basement. When the, the basement. Ma- when the man was jumping Go to the with. Frankenstein Museum and go to the basement. Yeah. <laughs> We haven't really talked about that Frankenstein Museum, have we? Well, we kind of did in the first one, but we could because the sound mm. was so bad. I, I had to cut. Oh a my goodness out. me! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you've made it through, through to this episode, everyone, and um, and you know, you've heard me after a couple of years start swearing a lot more. And this is probably what the, the rest of the podcast is going to be like. <laughs> we're in our groove now. Yeah, we're in our groove. <laughs> but still, like we're still learning about Victor. Yeah. But I think he's on his way. He's on his way. Yeah. yeah. Not as exciting as previous chapters, but yeah. I quite enjoyed it because I feel yeah. like we're actually getting somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And we both um, left it the last minute on our homework and it was, it was mercifully short. So um, <laughs> there we go. So we are now talking about... Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you've done your research on? <laughs> Oh my god! Turkey, turkey, <laughs> <laughs> turkey Bishelli. I was going to say this is going to be good. This will be the first one. I won't get the name Bishy. wrong. Bishy. Right. Oh. Where the 
hell does Bishy come from? Bishy, it's, 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 it's a family name. Yeah, but we need to know the derivative. Yeah. <laughs> Percy Bysshe Shelley. So this is um, Mary, uh, Mary Shelley's husband and um, the, the famous romantic poet. How do you pronounce Bishy? I just want to find out how easy it is to say that. If you go to Wikipedia, there's a button you can yeah, press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Percy Bysshe Shelley. There we go. Okay. Percy Bish Shelley. Okay. Percy Bish Shelley. <laughs> Not how it's written, is it? No. Percy Bish Shelley. Do you rap to that? <laughs> Put that down as a beat. <laughs> Percy Bish Shelley. <laughs> 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 and then we just get some of his poems going. Up. So I listened to some of his poems. Mm-hmm. They were all right. Percy Bish Shelley. <laughs> I prefer people talking about his poetry than actually. Uh, actually um, Bish oh, I'm going to have to take that off of you. Sorry. I'm doing what I'm doing. Is that your new ringtone? I don't know why it keeps playing it because it's not on the screen. <laughs> Maybe it's the witch farmer man coming yeah. in. Hi there, this is Harry. And oh, shut the English lessons with Harry where we try to help you to get a better understanding of the English language. So this is why um, Lisa has to come to my house because you can't use technology. <laughs> What was that? <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's all right. Oh, God, I'm okay, in a hot so... flush now as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's right. talk Percy Bysshe Shelley. Shelley. <laughs> I toilet. keep wanting to say turkey. Fuck <laughs> in my brain. You're thinking of Turkey Twizzler, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. So, something which Luke's talking about the, the romantics. This is all a massive response to. French Revolution, we're talking about with Mary Wollstonecraft. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, she went over, didn't she? Yeah, and William uh, Goodwin, just saying that, how that w- was a massive impact on their lives. And then it was a whole Napoleonic War going on as well when um, the second wave of uh, Romantic um, poets were coming in. So how much of an impact that had for them as well and that the, the idea of that like, there was a huge potential, massive change um, uh, going on and also the whole idea of like what it means to be a person alive in the world when all this is all happening so he was the eldest son of sir timothy shelley who was a member of parliament oh my goodness me i'm just reading about him going to eton college so yeah so he went to eton did you have you read the, did you read that he was interested in science and terrified his uh, his sisters were experiments of gunpowder acids and electric electricity he electrified his, his, his sisters, but also electrified one of his teachers at Eton. Oh, how funny. Um, and tried to raise spirits, um, raise spirits through occult um, rituals. Wow. Who does that sound like? Oh. Victor. Indeed. Exactly. Shelley was known as Mad Shelley yeah. when he was at school because he, he was um, bullied quite a lot yeah. when he went there, but he, he, was, he wouldn't take any shit from anyone. He, wouldn't, he didn't want to um, involve himself in fagging. He wouldn't... I think he was very much um, someone. He came from a very privileged background, so it's like, and it's like I, I, I don't need to do any of this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to do any of this. Yeah. Oh, look! In his senior years, Shelley came under the influence of part-time teacher, Doctor James Lind. So is that Monsieur Waldman? Yep. Oh, everything's think, aligning, isn't it? I think there's definitely there are parallels yeah. around the the time of his his birth. So uh, he was born. 
three years after the storming of the Bastille. Um, the abolitionist slavery happened during his um, childhood. The, the Napoleon turned up and the Napoleonic Wars all started happening during his childhood. There's a huge amount of turmoil going on. Mm. Um, and the whole idea, I think, that the world is potentially about to change or things are changing. To say, while he was still at school, when we were talking about earlier about people just being absolute pussy under, underachievers, he just knocked out his first novel while he was at school before he went to, when he went off to, um, uh, to uh, uh, Oxford. He met his mate, Thomas Jefferson Hogg, and they wrote, both wrote um, this uh, treatise on atheism. And we've been talking recently about how that, you know, atheism wasn't a thing you talked about no. in public, and, and it's um, something which potentially you get arrested for and all that mm. kind of stuff. But they wrote this treatise on atheism. They didn't just, like, you know, share it with all their friends. They published it, sent it to all of the bishops in the land. Brilliant. They sent it to all the dons in, um, Brilliant. in, uh, at the, at uh, Oxford. And then Shelley was surprised that he got expelled. <laughs> <laughs> and just thought that, well, from what I heard, that he thought that university was a place where you could go and, mm, and have free, the, thinking. The free thinking and try new things out. And they go, well, no, that's... But don't you think that probably even made him more passionate about being a romantic and changing things yeah. and, you know, making people think and, and question the status quo or question tradition? Yeah. Or question classic thinking or classical thinking, should I say? Yeah, I, I, but from what I've read about him, he's someone who's come from enormous privilege. So he, he just thinks I can do whatever I want. Why can't I do this? Why can't I say that? Mm-hmm. Um, Bit like Boris Johnson. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> he's actually got some interesting things to say. Yeah. Which um, and he he was um, he was a vegetarian before wow. the fact. You know that was a, a big thing. He was um, a complete um, uh, non-violent. He was about like change through non-violence. Mm. Um, we'll talk about the free love side of things, which was a massive oh, yeah. part of, yeah, of his, yeah. his life. But like William Good- Godwin was one of his heroes mm-hmm. um, and he was really excited about meeting him. Do you think really maybe he wanted to marry William Godwin rather than... Possibly. I think he just liked those ideas, but um, really excited to meet William Godwin and then went and had sex with... William Godwin's 15-year-old daughter on the grave of William Godwin's um, nice. um, dead, wa- dead wife. And then... Um, yeah, let's mix things up. Let's yeah. do things differently. Yeah, and then left <laughs> his, um, his wife and child with Godwin to look after while they eloped off over to somewhere else. So I don't think that went down too well. They travelled a lot, didn't they? They just travelled all over the place. But basically, it's, he, he got married um, really young to a, uh, a woman who he thought was being um, oppressed by her father. And he, he kind of saw her as an experiment, someone that he could kind of um, teach all these, all these idea, ideals that he, he got. I'm not sure if how much he actually loved her, but he kind of like brought her on as a project. I think he had a couple of children. I think he had four, five, six children. Hardly any of them survived. Mm. Um, and we've got to say, he died at 29. So all of this, everything we talk about now is something that happened to someone before they even hit 30. Yeah. Um, mental. Um, but yeah, so he married this, this woman um, and he was disowned by his father um, for marrying beneath him. Um, and then he was also disowned by, they were also disowned by the, the girl's father because um, she didn't want him his daughter getting involved with Shelley so that they, they had no money and that's why they were just traveling around all the time 
borrowing money off of people. Um, because I think he always had in the back of his head that, well, at some point, my father's going to die and then I will inherit all this money. So, you know, I can just... Yeah, yeah, work. which he did, didn't he? And he a huge amount of money. Yeah. But then he had to use that money to pay off all of his debts because he, he built up shitloads of debts doing all this list. But one of the things, they, they ran off to Ireland and Ireland was having a lot of turmoil then as well because of the um, uh, sort of the oppression of the Irish people. And he re- apparently wrote this, this really condescending um, kind of like patronising leaflet telling all the Irish people that they're oppressed when they fucking knew they were oppressed, mm. telling them to uprise. And then he would just he'd, he'd throw the, the leaflets out of the windows thinking that he's going to inspire all these people to... Uh, from his words, um, have an uprise. So was, his heart was in the right place, mm. but he was just a very naive or childish thing to do. And yeah. Like, and what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And that's he had to leave there. So yeah, um, he had a child with Harriet. Harriet is his first wife. Um, after he'd eloped with um, Mary, and they kind of ended up, and then his old mate, his old mate Hog, came up, came with them, and they ended up having almost like a... A threesome. Or a foursome. Like a foursome. A, yeah. Encourage Mary Shelley to get involved with as, this, as an experiment of mm. like a, a whole free love living situation, which apparently she she wasn't that enamoured with. Percy Shelley always felt that you should be with someone the whole for the time you're in love with them, but you should you shouldn't be then shouldn't have to marry them in order to sort of stay with them. Mm. At that point, you can move off and do do someone else, as it were. Mm. Um, so. That's why he ended up having illegitimate children all over the place and pissing off people's, and you know, picking up women and then discarding them, and yeah, and and things not going particularly well. And then Mary Shelley's sister went went with them as well, and there was a whole is thing, that Claire? Yeah, um, relationship going on, and then lots of people started committing suicide because because Byron turned up as well, and then they all started shagging each other. But they were all big druggies as well, weren't they? I, I wasn't sure, but I haven't heard about the druggy side of it. Oh, is is that me? I thought they were all into laudanum, weren't they? So Fanny Imlay, who remember talking about Fanny in a previous episode. So that's Mary Shelley's half sister. It was named after um, Mary Wollstonecraft's lady love Fanny, who ended up dying. Um, she ended up committing suicide. Um, there's rumours that she did that because she was in love with Shelley as well, and that maybe right. so there was people committing suicide there. Um, then Har- uh, Harriet, um, she, um, Percy's first wife, she drowned herself as well. So that allowed him to be um, able to marry Mary Shelley uh, legally because he was now released through being a widow. So, so did you say, talk about the drug bit and I can put that bit in. Yeah, so it said um, the summer of 1816 saw the 28-year-old reprobate of London mad bad and dangerous to know Lord Byron, sweep into Geneva in a replica of Napoleon, Napoleon's coach, not quite escaping the trailing whirlwinds of scandal and gossip that followed everywhere in his wake. Oh, my eye, oh, sorry. Accompanied, accompanied by a peacock, a monkey, a, a dog, several footmen and his doctor, John Polidor, the plan, sex, drugs, especially laudanum and poetry an entourage of fellow child prodigy, literati, genius, caught up with the party. Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, her boyfriend, the 23-year-old poet Percy Bushelli, and her stepsister, the ravishing beauty, Claire, 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 Claremont. The half-sister was 18, 
Mary did the honourable thing and made an honest man of Percy Shelley later that year and took his surname. Claremont and Byron were an on-off couple figuring shit out. By But Byron was not really looking for commitment at the moment. Sorry, babes. <laughs> Where, what are you reading this from? The two male poets decided to take cottages next to each other. Byron moved into a suitably magnificent villa, Diodata, while the other three took a more humble cottage. While this shit was going on, a volcano had erupted in Indonesia the previous year, bringing freakish weather to Europe. Summer was nearly cancelled out and it rained torrentially and almost perpetual rain with terrific thunderstorms rippling back and forth across the lake. One dark, stormy evening in the shadows filled Swiss manor of a spectacular lake rolling with rain and thunder. Byron was reading from a book of German Gothic poems. Shelley probably baked an opium tincture, hallucinated a bare-breasted vision of Mary with eyes where the nipples should have been and ran screaming from the room. This gave the mean-humoured Byron the idea to hold a horror story contest in order to freak Shelley out even more. These macabre games in dark candlelit parlours Windows shaking, the sky outside crackling with electricity in the skies over Geneva, led to pieces of writing that would bring a revolution in British literature, uh, birthing the general genre as SFF of SFF. Science fiction. Okay. Oh. Who wrote that then? So this is in Fear and How Drugs and Poetry Sparked Science Fiction. To follow, it's on dozome.menia.com. Uh-huh. Uh, Neil Dozome, he's writing it. So I, I, I've, I've read a lot about Shelley having visions and hallucinations. So it probably it would appear that these were, were drug-induced then. I thought he was having some kind of seizures and stuff. Mm. But um, it's yeah. interesting that they're saying these are probably uh, drug. Something else that happened um, about, around this time when Percy and Mary got married. Was habeas corpus was suspended? Do you know what habeas corpus oh, was? No, so I've heard, heard that phrase. I had to look it up, and that's detaining. That means people were being able to be detained without charge. So there was a whole um, another reason why they were out of the country was that anyone because of what all all the shit going on in Europe with mm. like revolutions and 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 um and like uh, wars breaking out, the the government and the, someone I was reading uh, someone I was reading this said this. Pretty much what happened when the war on terror happened. It's like oh, loads of shits going on. The, the government then took the opportunity to, to take more power and said, "Okay, well now we can detain people without any without charging them." Mm. And lots of um, uh, radical thinkers and writers and stuff who fled the country because it's like, okay, this point we we can write something and we can be put in prison for it, mm. even if it's not, yeah, if, even if it's not actually illegal yeah, yeah, because, yeah. because they can be seen as, as being seditious and and like potentially leading to a revolution in 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 the uk isn't that like over the coronation weekend well it's similar you fact, couldn't like you couldn't like say not my king yeah yeah like it's, that weekend it's meant you weren't allowed free thinking no. so actually all these roll forward to the it's like to, pre- to present day yeah not a lot has changed really has not a lot, it? I, I, I think it's mental that the government can do, and it's not like that wasn't the only time that's ever happened in mm. this country that they just suddenly said, "Okay, we're we're going to stop that yeah. now," uh, and th- th- the government can take that. And, it, and, and I think one of the things I was in, uh, uh, abroad recently, and I was just like, we were just looking. And I was saying, well, whenever I go into a hot country, there's points where bear me with this. I'm getting somewhere. 
like you just get to the edge of the town and then everything just stops and mm-hmm. it's like this building's half done and just like rubble and shit everywhere and i said oh it just feels like we're in quite a stable country compared to ev- nearly every, every other country i go to it's like it feels like every other house is kind of a bit more round shackled whereas i feel like where i where we live in the uk it feels a little bit more stable i think it's just we've been around for a lot longer but then i think that's all of um, and then you, you hear about you know, there was the insurrection in, in America. You know, we got people in Turkey at the moment trying to get rid of the arsehole Erdogan. Who's, mm. You know, all this stuff is going on in other countries. And you feel like, well, we've had Brexit. And we had like a fucking Liz Truss who cocked everything up over mm. a couple of weeks. But apart from that, it's quite stable here. But then At the moment. At the moment. But when you read like, within, you know, not that long ago, shit happens in, in our country when the government just goes, okay, well... We can just lock everyone up now and you can't do anything about it. Totally. Yeah. And it feels like, well, what's to stop that kind of stuff happening? You know, mm. I think we, we live in a very. Cushioned. Yeah. And also artificial um, feeling of stability. And mm. Well, look at, well, we were talking about Handmaid's Tale earlier on, weren't we? Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. I it's, mean, that. It's just, yeah. Mental when you think of like America now repealing um, abortion rights for people. And you're like, I always thought like America was very mm. similar to here. And you're like, no, could that, could that happen here? Could that happen? Anything could, can happen. Yeah, anything can. Anything yeah. can happen. The whole world was locked down during a, a global yeah. pandemic. Did you ever think that that would happen? No. Did you ever think that it would be illegal to go on holiday? Did you ever think it, you'd never be able to book a restaurant table for and more than four so people? Quickly. And that happened so quickly. So anything could happen. Yeah. I mean, I know we're like going off piss here, but. No. I very much believe that one day I'm going to look into the sky and there is going to be that spaceship up there because we had a global pandemic that shut the whole world down. So, like, do you it's a know, bit of a leap, Lisa, but yeah, I, I can't. You, I, 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 the fact that yes, so anything could happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I no know. one saw that coming. No, and for me, ever since nine eleven, I felt like the world's not as stable. But I don't know if it's just my, you know, that was kind of I don't know how old I was. Was when was nine eleven? I know what date. It was, it was. It was two thousand and one. Two thousand one. Um, but the thing is, so yeah, I think that was the end of my childhood, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you look at, um, so you look at something like Handmaid's Tale, and you go, that is, you know, that would never happen. But then, like at the subtlety of that, you are not allowed to protest during the weekend of the coronation. Is the government inflicting its power? on what is supposed to be a free society mm-hmm. or a society which sort of supports freedom of speech. So if they can do that, they can do anything. They can start locking down women's bank accounts. They could start going, right, well, those couples that don't have fam, you know, aren't able to reproduce or, you know, have children, then we're going to put something in place whereby that system needs to be efficient, it needs to work. Like, it only takes one nut job. To get in power. To get in power. Yeah. And I don't know if if this is just, you know, a knee-jerk reaction for, like, I don't know, man. It's just, like, the whole kind of, for me, I think it's all about echo chambers. Like, Mm. the only person I knew who voted for Brexit was probably my dad, all right, Mm -hmm. who actually knew. And then it was like... Well, My in-laws. Yeah. But then it's like... But it's, it's because I think we're so, like, surrounded by... We surround ourselves with people who are like us. Of 
course. And then suddenly it's a massive shock when... Somebody in your network. Yeah, there's some, when, when there's a decision made. Mm. Like, so every, every like, it's, I think it's insane for me that like, Conservatives keep winning elections. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't know anyone who votes Conservative. But my friend, one friend admitted to me he did mm. the other day. Um, so then you start getting unnerved because you're like, like you said, it's very unlikely that all of the kind of stuff which you just discussed. But then, but then it's like, in my mind, I can't see why anyone would allow the world to get how it is now. So suddenly, like, it's kind of that, that kind of, um, I think democracy feels like that, that you've got power. But then when you realise that, that you might actually be in a minority. Mm. But also, you know, okay, so there's two things I need to say. First thing is, is that on the radio today, they said that they were going to um, keep bus bus fares at £2 because I think it was going to end in June or something, but they're going to extend that because they found £220 million to fund this. Why isn't that going to the NHS? Why aren't you giving nurses a pay rise? Why aren't you giving teachers a pay rise? So there's that, okay. And then you talk about being in, so I needed to remember that because I was just like, that is outrageous. But then, you know, you go, oh, actually, I don't know anybody who votes Conservative or I don't know anybody who voted for breakfast, bre- breakfast. breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> or Brexit. Yeah. So on Sunday, I went to our newly opened Tesco Express around the corner from me mm. thinking, oh, how lovely. I really want to read The Guardian. I don't want to read the news on my screen. I want to have a break from that and I want to have a real lifetime newspaper experience. Mm-hmm. So I go to Tesco Express and look quickly at the paper selection and there's no Guardian. Mm-hmm. So um, I go to the counter, or did I say observer? I can't remember. Mm. Go to the counter. Oh, um, do you have any observers? It was an observer because it was Sunday. Mm. What's that? Yeah. I was like, uh, it's a newspaper. Uh, oh, it will be down there. There was no observer. However, there were two massive piles of the Daily Mail. Yeah. And I just thought, Daily Mail. Yeah. The majority of people in this country read the Daily Mail. Well, in that, we are in the minority. We are, as you say, you surround yourself with people like me. And, yeah. And you think, you think you're in a majority, but you're not. You're, in a you're not at all. Yeah. The majority of this count. Do we change? Did we change? No, we've always been. I thought we did it the last. No. Uh, we got different... I'm thinking of BCP. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but, anyway. It's got very political. Depressing. And... We don't need to put all that in. No, it's good. No, I think it's interesting. Just, It's just interesting that reading about people from, from the 1800s is still relatable and makes you think about stuff which happens is happening to you Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um, because people are always going to be challenging norms, aren't they? Yeah. I think especially if you're creative, which they clearly were, they're always going to question. Yeah. They're always going to question. They're always going to challenge and they're always going to be curious. Yeah. And those three things, I think, always lead to unconventional behaviour. Yeah. And also... And it doesn't matter what period of time you're in. It's, and and it's, they also lead to people going, you can't fucking do that here. And exactly. you're wrong. Ostracize them. So this is something interesting. So the fear, the fear of the fear of the actions that those people are taking, yeah. like the fear of exploring maybe supernatural, the fear yeah. of challenging God, yeah. the fear of going having an open relationship. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things Shelley um, was one of the first people to translate Plato's Symposium into English. Amazing. But he also left in all the stuff about um, gate gay relationships mm-hmm. in it um 
in it, uh, as in in it. In, or... in, in, <laughs> so there's, there's stuff in Plato's um, yeah, about um, male yeah. romantic relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he left it all in. Um, but when, um, when posthumously he was published by Mary Shelley, she took all that out because mm. she knew that um, it wouldn't be able to be published with it in. And it wasn't for, until 100 years later that it was, it was put back in again. So they were saying on the thing I listened to that he was 100 years ahead of his time, mm. that he put stuff in there, which for 100 years wasn't acceptable for mm. people to be able to read. Mm-hmm. And this is just him translating his, yeah. historic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just, but apparently that, um, I think it was a lot to do with her being able to make some money after he died. Mm. She did a lot of editing of his stuff in order to make it a bit more palatable and to, to try and... Um, she was clever, wasn't she? Yeah, in order to, yeah, make it so that kind of changed, it took away a lot of the kind of really sort of extreme stuff of, mm. of, of his, or what he was trying to do mm-hmm. um, to try and make him a bit more of a palatable sellable product, yeah 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 um which is interesting because a lot uh i've said a lot of people think that he did a lot of editing of frankenstein and maybe like ghost wrote it mm-hmm. but um other people saying you can see her her it's almost like it was the other way around she was someone who was editing him yeah yeah to try and um make him yeah acceptable but sh- there's obviously a lot of influence in the novel like you were saying Victor Frankenstein is based on him yeah. as a student and his life and everything. But also just someone who's out, a little bit out of control. Yeah. And mm. yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what Shelley wanted to do. Maybe he did want to create. Yeah. I don't know. Well, what, what did he wanted to create something new, didn't he? Mm. Um, trying to sort of come to term, to uh, trying to understand how we, what happened towards it. There was, I think there was, um, Mary Shelley had another, miscarriage almost died apparently um he put her into um this is percy shelley put mary shelley into like baths of cold water for, like for like hours and hours in order to stop her bleeding out mm. he managed to keep her alive um even though she had a- another miscarriage mm. um but then he sort of went into a depression after this but they'd he, they'd written he'd written that their relationship had come to an end at that point um and then he wanted to um break away from her but then and then he went out on a boat and he him and byron used to race boats around on this on this lake and he um uh percy shelley had customized his boat to make it really fast but also made it really unstable mm. where he went out in a storm in it that's just after he, he'd started having loads of like um visions of like um of corpses and all this kind through of his laudanum intake yeah well potentially <laughs> yeah but he but, People were saying he was kind of having visions of his of his demise, right. but I think it was a lot of depression based mm. off of the back of like they had no money, mm-hmm. they kept like losing children, the relationship was yeah. breaking down, and all that mm. kind of stuff. And he went out on the storm on this boat with, with someone else. I can't remember um, who the other person was. They got in trouble. A boat went out to rescue them, but he refused to get uh, come off of his boat uh, and stopped his companion from getting off the boat and said, "No, we're fine. We we can deal with this." Mm. And then uh, they went missing, and then two bodies were found three miles down the shore and severely um, decomposed. And they only identified him because he had a, I think it was a book of Keats poetry in his, in wow. his pocket. And apparently there's some kind of law uh, in Italy at the time that uh, when a body's found out that it has to be quarantined. So they buried it onto, on the beach. So, mm. um, it was left there for the legal amount of time. And then they dug it up and they did a, a pyre and they burnt him on the beach. But apparently the story goes is that his heart wouldn't burn. Oh yes! Yeah. People look into it and say it might be in his liver, 
but, mm. but they said an organ wouldn't burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was given to Mary Shelley. And like different things I've read, one said that uh, she kept that in a writing desk and, and all the time. Or but apparently it's now buried in Bournemouth somewhere. So we, yes. So we can go and see. Yeah, yeah. It's, there is a sculpture by a local artist. Okay. Yeah, sorry. So one of my <laughs> friends, doesn't matter. There is a sculpture in Boscombe yeah. of, yeah. Mary, I know Mary Shelley's buried, buried in Bournemouth. I, I was not aware that. Percy Shelley's heart apparently yeah. is buried here as, as well. Mm. It's very similar to like, you know, Salvador Dali. Right. Salvador Dali and his big love, Gaia. Is it Gaia? Gala. Gala Dali. Mm. When she died, he wanted to eat her. Really? Okay. So that he, she would never not be a part of him. Yeah. So. Apparently that's something which is starting to come in vogue. Like, a, a, being able to like ingest, people ingest the um, ashes of their... Uh, my loved ones. It's all a bit weird. Yeah. What is like a sprinkle? Yeah. On a yeah. spag bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Not like mouthfuls of like like ashes. So hold the parmesan. Yeah. I'm having my wife's ashes yeah. as a topping. Well, just don't tell everyone that you're doing it. I'm going to say I want to be turned into a hundred supporter streets, and I want everyone. Okay, one, two, three. <laughs> Where you wanted to be? Oh my goodness me! Yeah. That's so weird. All at the game. All of that happened by the time he was 29. This is, uh, so he died when he was 29? Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. So, and this Gosh, is, he had a fast life, didn't yeah. he? Fast um, and furious. Yeah, f- furiously shagging was the way he wrote, because the amount of children he... Um, he mm. So there was, he had a legitimate children as well, but yeah, he was just... Low, I think only one survived. But was he, he was famous in his time, wasn't he? He was... He was, he was in, famous. I think he was, in, he, was. he was infamous. Infamous, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think he was particularly. Um, he I didn't make he, money. No, and I think his father suppressed um, the uh, a lot of posthumous publishing of a lot of his stuff after his, his dead mm. his death. I think um, Mary Shelley made what money she could from what she could off of mm. it, but it, it, apparently it wasn't until um, Marx. Um, was a massive fan of his and mm. some of his ideas went into his writing and stuff. And I think mm. he was kind of, he was rediscovered after his death. Mm. I've never, I've never read Ozymandias, but I remember us being set a challenge to incorporate Ozymandias into some sort of agency pitch we did. Like, you know, you have those like agency away days, yeah. they give you a poem and yeah. you've got to develop a campaign around it. And yeah. I was like, this is nonsense. <laughs> I I can remember being told um, when I went to Egypt and, and saw some of the because that's the, the Greek name of, I believe for Ramesses mm. and seeing some of those statues she built and you know saying this is like ins- inspirations for that poem. But um, yeah, I gotta say I said I've tried listening to some of the poetry. I find it quite hard. But Ozyman, I can't, I'm worried about saying it wrong, but that particular poem. It's nice and short, and it's easy to understand. Yeah, just just looking at it now. But the, um, the, yeah, to a skylark, his poem that was that was that oh, was yeah. lovely, and just basically, it's about him saying that I want the poetry to come from me as easy as the song comes from a skylark. Aww. You know, I want it almost like to be that pure and from the heart, and, mm. and uh, I think that's one of the things which he was trying to achieve of of that being able to get that. The expression of feeling and the, tr- uh, the, and the truth, and, uh, yeah, to come 
as an as a natural expression, mm. but it's but it's like but it's it's impossible. It's so fucking hard. Yeah, get this get this out. But also, um, he was also someone who wanted his poetry to change the world. Poetry is, I think, is such a sort of niche. It's really. It's quite, it's very niche and it's very, well, but then you've got rap, haven't you? Yeah, I think it's just very outdated. It's really hard for us now to think about what the power of poetry and writing full stop actually but, but is. I suppose poetry is, has been translated into lyrics, you know, and you think about sort of, it's not just rap, but it's, I don't know, it's not yeah. rap hip-hop all of that that's that's poetry and that's commentary on life isn't it yeah, yeah it's, it's like that I think at poetry that, yeah but i think at that time mm. we didn't have all the other no. um distractions of the world yeah, there was a lot more importance on the written word mm. and you had folk music though so yeah. you had a lot of folk music within within music but mm. you had a lot of classical music as well so you didn't have music in the traditional sense no what mm. Sorry, I don't know. Probably we didn't have shit. pop music. Pop didn't have pop music. Yeah, pop music. But it was kind of like the pop music of its time. Mm. And there's a, a love. There's a lovely. It was the pop. medium for self-expression. Wasn't it was. It? That was the medium of self-expression at that time. And mm. the um, yeah, there's a great, great podcast. Really enthusiastic guy uh, called uh, the the history of literature. Oh, that was the one that you sent to me. He just makes this stuff sound amazing, and he's just and he's he refers he kind of um talks about Shelley in the same way as um John Lennon. I'm not going to do it justice, but he he there's some great sort of parallels he finds between the Beatles and mm. and the Romantic poets and stuff. And one of the things he was saying is that one of the great things about Shelley is that he he didn't have he wasn't jealous about things he wanted. So, for example. Um, he, he said, like, John Lennon met Paul McCartney and was like, fuck, that guy's really good. Um, I could either, like, be his competitor or I could bring him into the band mm. and make our band better, make myself better by being associated with him. And they said that a lot of poets around that time were quite, like, competitive, but but he was like, oh, I, can't, I think it was Keats was ill. And he said, well, come come here. I'll make you. I'll pay to pay for you to get better. Mm. I'll um, I'll teach you German and and I'll teach you all this stuff. And then I'll make you. That will make you. You can write, write, make even more poetry and make him. Mm. And I'll never be as good as you, but I can. I can help you get better. Yeah. And I think he was such a. From what I've read, he was such an idealist, and he wanted everything to be better. He wanted things to change for the better. Mm. He probably fucked up a load of stuff and ruined and, and was completely deluded. But I think he was just someone who was, um, his heart was in the right place and he wanted things, he wanted, mm. and he couldn't see any reason why he shouldn't be the one who could make things better. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But then I think you know, when everything just went to shit, he, he just got depressed mm. and then ended up yeah, being yeah. quite self-destructive in the end. Mm. But again, just all and these the, people. The drugs didn't help. No. The drugs didn't help, just, you know. Drugs don't work; they just make things worse. They don't work, yeah, as we well know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but again, all this shit happened around Mary Shelley, and it's all been put into Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And what fascinating people! Yeah, what fascinating people! Yeah, we haven't got onto but we'll be talking briefly about Byron. That's another. Yeah, that's we'll, we'll save Byron. Yeah, mad, bad, <laughs> and dangerous to know. Okay, 
Well, you spoke a lot. Considering, um, so thank you for yeah. considering how much preparation we put into that. That was good. Well, thank you very much for Yay. joining us again. Yeah, that, thank that was, you. That was good. Um, join us next time for more Frankenstein shit. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <Have> good day. <laughs>